This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to the Oak Shape Podcast Season 6 with your host, Dan the Fitness Man. Thank you for tuning in. We are excited to have you. This is the podcast that is dedicated to hard work, disciplined decisions, and year-round training in the pursuit of the best possible version of ourselves. We leverage elk hunting to create a pathway. We understand that time is finite and we cannot squander a second. We must be leaders at our home. We understand that faith is our number one priority. Then family, then fitness, then health, then wealth. Our year-round disciplined decisions help us leave a legacy for our family to follow. You will leave here motivated, inspired, and educated. We bring on a wide variety of guests subject matter experts so that you can tune in get what you need to get and continue on your journey we are blessed to call ourselves elk hunters season six here we go on today's podcast we're sitting down with kevin miller this dude's awesome man uh played in the nhl for a decade uh also Pretty banged up dude. Pretty fun to talk to him about his career, the ups and downs, and the reality of being a professional hockey player in the NHL. He's also a husband, a father, just an all-around stud, and he's into hunting. He's based right now out of Utah. I just met him. Great conversation. We talk about all sorts of training, making comebacks from injury, and staying resilient. Fun episode. This is Kevin Miller, and you're listening to the Oakshade Podcast. Oh my gosh. Okay, well, here's my here's my goal today. I just want to get to know you, man. Like uh, I met you at Western Expo and I was introduced by the Baku team and they're like, "Oh, hey, meet Kevin." And uh we chatted for a brief moment, but I found out like you're a big-time hunter. Uh you do have a career, a former career in the NHL. We'll 
dabble into that because I have hockey. I got hockey questions. Um, so, but the most important, the, the thing that I need to know is like, how long have you been hunting? Um, so it's kind of, kind of a funny story. Um, with, and this, you know, gets into the hockey career a little bit first, I guess, first and foremost, it's great to have me. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate you having me here. It's great to, great to connect with you. Um, Likewise. And, uh, and so, you know, I, I, I've been playing hockey since I was five. It was, uh, I knew I wanted to play hockey when I was five and, and kind of was fortunate to find that path um, at a very young age. And, um, but I've always had a passion for the outdoors and animals. Like I've always, I grew up kind of a weird kid with snakes and ferrets and like loved animals. Um, and, uh, you know, my mom always thought I was going to be a vet and, um, so I, I always, I, I grew up loving animals, being outdoors. My family owned a, uh, my, my cousins owned a, a fly fishing lodge up in Montana. And I was able to visit that when I was 15. And uh, we did a little bit of bird hunting. I'd always liked shooting guns. We had BB guns and pellet guns and everything growing up. I enjoyed that part of it. And um, we did some bird hunting and I, I really loved it. But it was always like in the back of my mind, just because hockey um, was so at the forefront of everything and, uh, my, my, my driving force with everything. And, uh, but I had this passion that I always wanted to get into. And then, um, you know, as my career went on, I started to kind of get, uh, get to the point in, where I was old, you know, an older guy on the team. I was pretty comfortable in my situation. I, I could pick and choose my spots where I thought I could maybe get a week, um, during the summer, uh, before training camp started where I could start hunting. And then during the season um, in Boston, it, everyone thinks like, dude, you're in Boston. How could you, how could you hunt? Well, there are these small, small pockets in, in the city, um, just on the outskirts in the kind of suburban area where there's um, these whitetail. And, uh, you know, my, my really good buddy of mine, business partner now, but teammate for eight, nine years, uh, Brad Marshawn, he's a, he grew up a hunter and, um, he was, he was always like, Hey man, you got to get a bow. You got to, you got to get a bow and come hunting with me. And I was like, nah, you know, like I like shooting guns. Like I'm, I'm good. Like I don't need another hobby. And, um, he's like, no, no, you really need this. Cause we can hunt 15 minutes outside of practice. Like we can go right there. We can hunt. We're good. And, uh, finally one day, uh, he, you know, he goes on eBay, he buys this bow and he, and I'm a lefty and he goes, Oh, it showed up lefty. I'm like, okay. Yeah. Right. You know, like he went out and he bought my first bow for me, you know, and, and he gave it to me and, and, um, it was this nice Matthews bow and we went and got it set up and, uh, I started shooting and instantly I'm like, Oh no, I really like this. <laughs> I really awesome. like, it. um, and so it, it just kind of, kind of grew from there. Um, uh, started hunting, got my you know first deer, a little two point buck, like just this thing that I'd worked my butt off for, for so long and ended up sitting in a tree stand for 21 days straight. Um, I had a broken hand at the time. Um, and so I was still able to kind of skate and whatnot, but I couldn't stick handle, uh, but I could pull my bow back cause I'm a lefty. So it was my left hand. I was able to pull my bow back and use my fingers. Um, but I was, so I go in the, practice in the morning and then i'd go sit and stand in the evening and i, I didn't see a deer for 21 days and on, on day 22 this little two-point buck comes out and uh i shot him and it was like a it was like the from there i just knew like this is something i i really love so that that's kind of my hunting story and that was five years ago oh so that was not that long ago um 21 days straight are you kidding me it was, it was, it became like, um, cause I, you know, I come home and my wife's like, you know, okay, you're, you really want to start this hunting thing. And uh, I was like, yeah, like, I really love it. Like I like being outside. It was, uh, 
I don't really enjoy, you know, sitting in a tree stand, but for me also it was like uh, just time to reflect and be away and kind of a little bit peaceful and put my phone away. Uh, and then it kind of became a, like a, like a point of contention where she's coming home. I come home and she's like, yeah, nothing, huh? You know, <laughs> like, no, nothing, nothing today. And so it, it kind of became a, uh, it became kind of a, a challenge. Uh, and I was just, I was committed to, to, uh, to, to being successful in it. And um, I think I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for it now. Uh, at the time I was just kicking myself. Like, what am I doing? There are days I'm like, all right, I'm done. But you know, the next day comes around, okay, we'll go for four or five hours and we'll go sit. Um, but it worked out and I, I loved it. And, um, and now I'm hooked. Have you had an opportunity to elk hunt yet? I have. Yeah. So, um, my first, uh, my first elk hunt. So I got a, a really close friend of mine uh, who I went up and my first, the first animal I ever, ever killed with was a Buffalo with my bow. I was like, I had a, I had a, and this is a long story too, but my older brother used to live out here in Utah and he worked at this ranch, um, at the time it was a high fence ranch. They did elk and Buffalo and he worked at it. Um, and this was you know a long time ago. I'm like, all right, Kyle, like my old brother, I'm like, Hey man, I really want to hunt a Buffalo. Like there's something like, I love, that's my favorite animal. Like, um, and so I called up the guy who, um, Kyle used to work for and he no longer owned it. So he gave me the number to the guys who now own it. And they're my really good friends. It's a West Canyon ranch up in Cache Valley. They do high fenced elk and Buffalo. And, um, and it's on in 3000 acres. It's like, I mean, it's, I know the stigma about high fence and, and this wasn't like shooting things off feeders. Like these things are, I mean, they're about as wild as they get. Um, and uh, that was actually, so I, I shot a Buffalo and then I went and I, I got my first deer. And then from there, like I, I immediately booked, like, Hey man, I really want to, I want to start elk hunting. And, and uh, super, super thankful to be in a position where I could, Hey, spend this money to go on a, on a high fence elk hunt. Right. But learn a ton in three days. So right. I mean, we were it was like blown stock after blown stock after blown stock and, and just learned a ton and learned how to call a little bit and like their reaction and things. And so it was like, uh, it was like, a it was like, I would say like two or three years of elk hunting jammed into like three days that I learned so much. And I just got hooked at that point. Um, and that was, um, uh, I was super grateful for that opportunity. I loved the heck out of it. Um, and from there, I've just, that's my, that's my favorite thing to do. That's your jam. Um, all right. So what's the NHL average career span? Like I know NFL guys, like, you know, I've worked with a lot of those guys. You got to kind of make your money and, and after you're a rookie and you get past the, you know, the new rules, you got to get a contract signed and you got to hit that contract hard and you got to make your money, man. Cause you got like what, three, four tops years, uh, burying nothing catastrophic. NHL is like, there's five, five and a half. Okay. How long did you play? How many years did you get in the NHL? I played eight years in the NHL. Yeah. Okay. So let's break down uh, the cliff notes of all the things that have happened to your body in those eight years. <laughs> well, so I played, I played, I signed out of college. I played two years pro for the Boston Bruins minor league team in Providence. So I played 10 years professional and then I got called up after the two years and played eight years with Boston. Um, actually during one of those years, I missed the entire season because of it. So, um, I mean, it's a laundry list, man. It's a laundry list. Um, I've, uh, I broke in my index finger on my left hand. I've done the boxers fractures twice on my hand. I broke my hand on my left hand twice. I broke my thumb once on my left hand, broke my right hand once, broke all four fingers on my right hand once. 
Um, I had uh, my shoulder dislocated twice, had sh shoulder surgery on that. I had a ladder J done. So they, they split me open and moved uh, my coracoid bone down here and screwed that in. Um, I fractured my larynx. So I took a puck to my throat and broke my, my larynx, my throat. Um, I almost had a, had a tracheotomy there in Toronto. Um, tore my oblique muscle twice. Um, the worst of it was my knee. So that's actually what ended up my, in my career was I, I fractured my, um, I went into the boards and I fractured my patella vertically, broke it right in half. Didn't really know right away just because the mechanism, it still moves together, right? So, um, you know, there's we we two games left in the season. We had a really good team. This was 2019. So um, we had a really good team. And uh, long story short, we actually ended up losing in game seven of the Stanley Cup final that year. So I, there's two games left in the season. I actually, I fractured my kneecap vertically. And then um, we had surgery. I had three pins put in it like this way to, to hold it together. And, uh, and, and I was pushing in rehab just cause I knew we had such a good team and I'm like pushing and pushing. And, and uh, we got to that four week mark and we got an x-ray and the guy's like, Hey, it's, it's clearly still broken. It's four weeks. Like, but you know, how's it feel? You can move it. And I, I'm like, yeah, like swelling's going down. I have full range of motion. Like, and he's like, all right, well, you know, in the next three or four days, you can start to get on and skate lightly. Well, I was in North Carolina. It was second round of the playoffs and uh, they were playing It was game three. They were playing the Carolina hurricanes. And uh, I, I traveled with the team. The guys thought it'd be a good idea to be around them and everything was good. And, and lo and behold, I'm, I'm warming up and doing an exercise before I'm about to go on the ice. And uh, just a simple exercise, uh, literally like a one leg and just lifting up the back left leg, putting all the, the, the pressure on my right leg, the surgery leg. And, and uh, it just popped. It literally popped and buckled from underneath me. It sounded like a balloon popped. Oh, my God. I, my, it, it broke horizontally along one of the screws. So my, my kneecap looked like a big X. Um, and from there, like I knew my season was done at that point. Uh, and that actually, that was, so that was the 2019, I was in May of 2019 and, uh, it took me, I missed the entire, so I was coming back to play in October of 2020. Uh, and then I ended up tearing off or sorry, October of 2019 and getting ready to come back. Uh, and I ended up tearing my quad tendon that was connected to that. Yeah. So that, that was another surgery from there. And then that comes back. That was like uh, four months later, uh, getting back to start playing again. And uh, I chipped part of the bone off the top of that, that just because of the force of the sheer force of your tendon pulling off, it ended up pulling a piece of bone off the top of that. That was my fourth surgery. I missed all of 2020, came back and played uh, like half the season for 2021. And at the end of that, like it just got to the point where, um, you know, after after every game, I'd spend five hours in rehab, just trying to get the swelling down and whatnot. And um, to the point where I wasn't even practicing, I wasn't working out, I wasn't skating with the team, I was just playing games. And um, at the end of that, I was just like, I wanted to do things like, you know, I wanted to go hunt, I like my kid, I spent time with my kids do that, it just, just didn't make sense. So I've, I've been through the ringer. <laughs> like a lot of guys though, to be honest with you, like, you know, like football players, whatever it is, like everybody comes out, nobody comes out whole. So it's just the nature of it. No, but that uh, you exceeded my uh, expectations on the answer to that question. That is my favorite part of the podcast so far is, um, so how do you feel right now, man? Like, you know, you've been out of the game a uh, year plus and, um, obviously just the, the abuse you guys take day in and day out and the, like the seasons are so long. How do you feel right now? I, I feel good. And I, I think it's, um, uh, 
because for me, uh, I, you know, and this is a little bit just about myself and, and what I like, how I made it to the end. I didn't make it to the NHL because I scored goals and had skill, right? It, it, it was most of my, my stuff came from like, I was, I was one of the most fit guys on the team. Uh, I worked some of the hardest and, and the strongest, one of the guys the strongest on the team. That was just my role as uh, you know, like I didn't score goals. Like I, they were paying me to be, somewhat of an enforcer ish last, uh, like, uh, stay at home defenseman. So that was a part of kind of who I was in my pedigree. Um, uh, so I, I, like, I really love working out. Like I enjoy having my body feel good and things. And so, um, I kind of, I took that very seriously and still do. And I love that about it. And so, you know, I spend, I work out every day, try to every day, uh, and try at least sweat or something, but I, I'd spend a lot of time still rehabbing my knee just to make sure that I could, um, kind of function on a, a normal basis and, and do all the things that I love to do. So I feel pretty good now. I don't skate basically ever. And that, that definitely helps where you're not on this little piece of blade and you're skating and whatnot. So, um, starting to get some ankle mobility back finally. And, and, and so, yeah, it's, it's, I feel pretty good and I'm, I'm very fortunate for that. And I'm uh, hoping to kind of keep that rolling. All right. Well, I'm not going to be embarrassed about asking you some dumb questions now. I'm probably not the world's biggest hockey nut but I absolutely love watching hockey especially in person and then physicality wise like from a strength and conditioning aspect it for me it's just hard to understand the demands that it requires to play the game at your level that you got to the highest level and um so I'm gonna ask some dumb questions here we go fire shifts this change of shifts I don't really understand when you step on the ice is it like do you get 90 seconds max effort? I know it's positional probably, but like who comes and goes? And like, if I'm a strength coach trying to design a program for you, like I need to know your demands and what they need. Like how much time are you on the ice given? Like, what, how's that work? Yeah. So, so like, and that's, what's crazy is, is like, everyone doesn't kind of, it's, it's weird because it's, it's, if you look at it, um, like the average shift is anywhere between 48 and 52 seconds. Okay. And like, that's, top to bottom. It's just strange how it all works out that way that like the ebbs and flows of the game are so they're so unscripted, but scripted. It's weird. So like, no matter what, like you'll never really see you go at the end of a game sheet, you'll never see a guy that's like average 59. And then the other guys average 31. Like they are, it's literally like that window is very, it's, it can be plus or minus one or two, but like your average shift is anywhere between 48 and 52 seconds. And so that, that, um, and, but, and it's, it's, it's weird because that's over, that's over a 60 minute period uh, or you have two, you know, three period, 20, 20, 20, and that's over 60 minutes. And so it's, it's a weird training block, um, because it's, there's, you need both anaerobic and aerobic, right? You need both, but you do design a lot of, a lot of our programs were designed off those like max effort, 48 to 52 seconds. Like that sucks. Yeah. Just, you know what I mean? Like it's miserable, right? So it's, it's miserable. And, you know, and, and, and our, 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 it's changed, right? The, the culture's changed. Um, but our testing for, for, um, uh, pre preseason or like our, our training camp testing has changed a lot over the years. Um, and that's, and that's just because culture, I think a little bit, but also people are becoming more aware of uh, injury prone and, and, and can, can really cause damage. Like for instance, you know, when, when I first got to the Bruins, we did um, the 300 yard shuttle, 25 yards and we were running. 
and and running translates almost zero to hockey almost yeah. nothing. like almost nothing it just it doesn't do anything but but they would do it because they want the discipline of the guys during the summer like the, you would you get guys that would just like they would work so hard at that and then we would never run again which makes no sense um, and they've, they've evolved with that. And they've, now they do like some, some on ice testing. They do some aerodyne testing. Uh, we did the wind gate, things like that. Oh, where you, nice. you can max power thing. They can see your output that you've trained, that you worked your butt off and, and you know, how your decline is. It's all heart rate based now, um, vertical jump, lateral jump, uh, mobility tests and that whole thing. So like for a program now, it's gotten a lot more hockey specific, if you will. Yeah. And that's really good for the game. But yeah. Okay. So you step on the ice. I imagine the coach is telling you or like, how do you know when to like, you're just part of a specific shift and you all trade at the same time. Like, it's hard to see that. You try to, yeah, you try to, um, you, you know, sometimes like, you know, three forwards, two defensemen, sometimes two, two forwards come off. One guy stays the pucks in the, 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 the offensive zone. And when it comes back out or when it gets into the defensive zone, when it comes back out of the offensive zone, that one other guy can change. You get three on. They're kind of very similar. That's most of the time the D change together, but sometimes one gets stuck on and the other one doesn't. It's just kind of like the, the ebbs and flows of the game. And, and it's weird that you'd like, you'd think it, it, it almost doesn't make sense because a lot of people think like, well, how do you guys change on the fly like that? Doesn't the other team just go down and score? Well, it, it, it just doesn't, it doesn't, it's weird. It doesn't work like that. It's just, um, it's all kind of like the ebbs and flows of the game, but it, it actually is a lot more structured than you think. No, I get it. No, this is good. And I'm sorry if I have dumb questions, but like, it's fascinating to me. Uh, so when you said your role was kind of like, get out there, be an athlete slash like enforce a little, what I just keep visioning, cause I've never seen you play is like, well, I've probably seen you play, but I didn't know that was you. Um, you step on the ice, you're like, are you like a full court press kind of guy? Like you don't give them an inch. You just come out there and just wear them out with your physicality and you're just, you don't give them any edge. Is that what you're doing? Yeah. So a lot, you know, there's, I'll just break down the kind of the roles as a defenseman. Obviously you're kind of the last defense before you get to the goalie. Right. And uh, that my job as a defenseman was, you know, keep pucks out of the net, but there's different types of defensemen. Some are big, some are small, um, some skate really well, some don't. Um, and then, and the, the jobs of the guys who are more of a finesse defenseman um, are more of, Hey, I, I get the pucks up to the forwards in a good position for them to score. Um, and so there's a lot of defensemen that are offensive minded that end up on the score sheet every night that can score goals and make plays and the whole thing. Um, and then break pucks out. Um, and then there's jobs like, for, for instance, mine was more of a stay at home defenseman. Like I'm not, I'm not up in the play a lot. I'm not trying to score goals as much as the other guys, I'm trying to make plays and break pucks out, but, but make it difficult on the other team in our own zone, um, in the neutral zone, um, close on them quickly, uh, make be physical in front of the net in the corners, uh, make it hard to play against. And that was, that was kind of my role. So I probably know the, the answer to this next question, but I just got to hear it from a real hockey player. Like, so when you guys take a slap shot or a wrist shot or whatever, like I, I, I assume, I guess you, it's hard to like word this, but like you guys can literally make the puck go anywhere you want on the, sh on the shot. Is that true? There are guys that are definitely like that for sure. Like, okay. Yes. So, um, the goal is that does it happen every time? No. Same thing with archery, right? Your goal sure. is your goal is to hit the X. Um, yeah. and you, you know, it, 
the further away you get, the harder it is to get the hits. That's the same thing with, with the puck. Uh, your goal is to get hit the X. Does it hit there? Sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, and, and, you know, as you, the closer you get, the easier it is, uh, farther you get, the harder it is. Uh, it, it's, it's very similar in that, in that, in that, you know, space. Mm, okay. Well, it seems like a lot of your injuries were at the hands. What is this like? Pretty par, par for the course when it comes to playing professional hockey. Blocking shots. That's uh, so I, I, well, I broke my thumb going into the boards, jamming my thumb. I uh, broke my hand uh, once in a fight, once blocking a shot. I uh, broke my finger this side, uh, shattered my whole knuckle on that side from a shot. So you're like, your, 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 your hands are always kind of getting slashed or hit. And it's just kind of the nature of it. So yeah, I eat your hands a lot for sure. Did you take any? A lot, of, a lot of injuries um, in hockey are, are the hips, hip flexors, and groins, um, and, oh, yeah. shoulders, and shoulders. So, like, your, your, your major – most of your major injuries are in your hips, your groins. Uh, you know, you have a lot of um, – you have a lot of labrums in hips, uh, a lot of groin issues, uh, and then a lot of shoulder problems. It's that darn ball and socket type structure. It's uh, susceptible. Did you- and skating is just not a natural movement. It's like by any means. It's, it's not, <laughs> humans are not meant to skate for sure. So that's why you see hockey players with big old fat quads and no calves. It's just because like, there's no, you're not, you're not using your ankles. You're not using your dorsiflexion or any of that. You, it's all kind of glute and, and, and quad driven. So, mm. so did you d- decide or to invest in any boxing lessons as a partial enforcer? I did as, I did it as more of a workout, um, fighting in hockey is is so different than it's good for spatial awareness boxing for sure like yeah. your hand and being able to throw and like the whole thing so i did a little bit but it was more for i liked the cardio of it um i i, I was never like you know like where i was growing up like i never there's different ways to do it in hockey if you end up going to juniors you can fight a lot earlier because you were in a half shield i went up through college there was no fighting until i was out of college so my first ever fight was i was playing in providence it was in the pros so um it was, it was just something that i i don't know i just i have an older brother and a younger brother we used to beat up on each other all the time and kind of aware my space and surrounding and whatnot and um felt comfortable doing that so it was never something that like was so foreign to me um and like I said, I use the boxing as more of a conditioning thing, but it did help to have spatial awareness with your hands and whatnot, but hockey in fight, like fighting in hockey is such an unnatural thing. You're on skates, you're grabbing onto one guy, he's grabbing onto you. And it's kind of like, uh, it's a 20 to 30 to maybe minute long sequence where it's, um, so it's, it's just, it's just a different, um, it's, it's just a different than, than your normal fighting would be in, in any other sport. So with the Elk Shape Podcast audience, we want to let you know about all our partner discount codes or calls to action. Save you some loot, get you some good gear. Kafaru, we finally have a discount code, Elk Shape 15. Any purchase except for shelters. I run the hoodlum. Jake runs the hoodlum. Get yourself the duplex light frame or the tactical. I have both. I would say the tactical is a little bit better for colder weather, whereas the skeletonized duplex light works a little bit better in early season like August and September. Discount code Elk Shape 15. With the Vortex Optics discount code, you have to go to eurooptic.com 
Enter the discount code ELK10. It'll save 10% off any Vortex glass. We also have a Vortex wear discount code. 20% off all Vortex wear for your scouting, date night, or workout gear. Enter the discount code ELKSHAPE and it'll get you 20% off. Onyx Elite membership. Enter the discount code ELKSHAPE. It'll take 20% off. You will get the Elite membership, all 50 states, plus access to the digital publication from Hunting Fool. You'll also get a Hunt Reminder membership included, as well as Top Rut and other perks. Onyx has been in the game the longest. Take advantage. Next is Numa Outdoors. That's the hunting clothing we wear in the backcountry. Into the discount code ELKSHAPE20 to save 20% off. MagView, this is the digiscoping solution made easy. The discount code is ELKSHAPE. It'll take 10% off. Get the A1 and the B1. Definitely for your spotter and your vinyl. It pairs nicely. And uh, it's just a little magnet strip on the back of your phone. You don't have to have a silly phone case. Wilderness Athlete, new discount code for 2023. It is ELKSHAPE23. That'll knock 20% off. Look for the ELKSHAPE stack or the September stack. And ladies, the Mrs. ELKSHAPE stack as well. Black Ovis is where I get my gear. The discount code is ELKSHAPE. It'll take 10% off. Fast and free shipping and the best code customer service. Fatty Meat Sticks, a great, healthy, non-GMO, crappy, salty. No, this is the best tasting meat stick on planet Earth. Discount code Elk Hunter gets you a little 5 to 10% off depending on what you buy. Check out Fatty Meat Sticks. Sheep Feet, orthotics for your feet. Discount code Elk Shape, take 10% off your sheep feet. I have two pairs. I always have a pair in my boots and my workout shoes. I have high arches. That really helps. At first, I was a naysayer. Now, I'm a believer. Sheep Feet works really well for me. Could work really well for you. Put it in your boot. The Elk Collect the number one digital elk hunting resource. You want to get going on elk hunting, you can practice and learn from others. So instead of listening to one person preach about how to elk hunt, it's an army of subject matter experts teaching their ways of hunting elk. Discount code ELKSHAPE podcast, all one word. We'll get you a discount to the elkcollective.com. How many fights have you known that, like, oh, this is inevitable? Me and that dude are going to fight, like, um, versus maybe they send an enforcer out to you. You've just done, you're just a pain in their ass and keep getting in the way of their offense. And when do you realize like, okay, it's going down versus, oh, this guy's gloves are off. Let's go. You know, that type of thing. So, so there's, yeah, there's two two schools of thought there. The game has changed a lot uh, since when I first got in there. There was still guys that were literally on the team to fight. Yeah. Uh, and that's gone now. Um, <sighs> it, Come on. It, that's gone now. Uh, it's still a part of the game. Uh, the enforcer role is much less, um, but but it you know it's still a part of the game. And it's a lot more spontaneous now. When I was first getting in the league, there were times where uh, I definitely knew like this game. I'm you know you circle on the on the on the calendar like I'm fighting that game because I know he's on that team. No ifs, ands, or buts. There were definitely <laughs> times where that was the case. Uh, that that nowadays is pretty much gone. Um, and it's much more, uh, more spontaneous where it's a reactionary thing where you hit one of our best players. Okay. Well then we're doing this, um, and less, less kind of scripted or staged, if you will. Okay. Uh, under your tutelage, uh, favorite head coach you worked with, or I'm biased, but favorite strength coach you worked with any good high, like memorable, uh, guys out there that you worked with. Yep. So, uh, favorite coach I worked with was Bruce Cassidy. He was my, he was my head coach. He's the longest coach I had. Um, he was my head coach in Providence when I first got there, um, played two years underneath him there, got called up. Um, and then our coach Claude Julian, I loved him too. I was with him for two or three years in Boston and then he got fired and, and Bruce came up and was a head coach and he was my head coach for the rest of Boston. So uh, I loved him. Um, he was a, a very, he was hard on guys. Uh, but I think that made me better. I enjoy that part of him. He was a uh, old school guy. Uh, he didn't pull punches. He didn't pull favorites. He told you how it was. Um, uh, 
there were times where I wanted to kill him and there's times where I wanted to hug him. I love the guy. And so he's my, definitely my favorite head coach. Um, and favorite strength coach was actually a coach, not, not even a part of the Bruins or anybody. Uh, it was a, a guy who I trained with in the summer times back in California. When I would go back there, his name was Dave Easton Eastman. Um, and, uh, he was just an old football coach, man. He's an old football player. Uh, he's, he was probably, I don't know, he's maybe five or six years older than I am. And uh, he just he just knew um, he knew who I was and he knew what I needed out of it. And he pushed me. And um, I just, I mean, I, I looked forward to every day going to the gym. <laughs> That's so cool. Uh, so the seasonality of hockey and, and balancing family life and hunting, like um, how long is your season and what are your goals? gaps like legit time off versus time off but you got to be basically you're a professional athlete you're training so this so the season starts training camp usually starts the first week of september every year first to the september 10th ish right around there uh, and then the season will actually will drop the puck like usually around october 5th uh, that season will run october 5th through april 15th main the regular season and then playoffs start, and they can go all the way to June if you're going to Stanley Cup. So the, the, the reality is, is you're – for me, and this is different for everybody, uh, you know, and, and like I said, I'm not – I wasn't the guy who the hockey just came natural to. Um, it was a constant work in progress. And so I, I found that any, any, any more than three weeks off was too much. And so season ends, say you go to playoffs and, and – uh, you go to May 15th or so right around there and, and you, you lose and you're out. Right. So I, I gave myself about three weeks and then it's um, kind of let the body heal um, kind of. And then I, it wouldn't be like a full on right into training regiment. It would be, let's start getting your hips and, and, and glutes and, and hammies and everything to work correctly. Again, let's open you up. Let's, let's work on a lot of mobility things. And this evolved over my career, but like, um, spend those next, you know, five to six week block of kind of building a really solid base and getting things to open up and work correctly again, and then press full court press from there. And so it would just ramp up. So say you end May 15th, you start back up June 10th, uh, you run June 10th through July. I'd usually run a seven to eight week program, take five days off and then run it again, all the way up to training camp, give yourself four or five days before training camp to kind of deload and, and hit it, hit the ground running. So when you are living in Massachusetts, you're from California, I take it. Um, like as a pro athlete, are you like, I'm going to rent a house here or I'm going to rent a spot in Massachusetts, but like, or did you end up getting a place in, in both States? Like how did you bide your time with all the travel you guys do as hockey players? I, I ended up, um, well, cause I was fortunate. So like I ended up, I signed my first deal with Boston. It was a two year deal. I was still renting at the time. I rented from a, a former teammate of mine, a uh, great guy. And he rented me his place. And then after I signed my deal, I signed a four year deal with Boston. I ended up buying a place. So I, I bought a place in Boston. Um, and then I had a place in California that I had bought. And then we left California, uh, towards the end of my career, we moved to Colorado. Uh, I actually had my surgery out in Vail. And so okay. I was there because the rehab was there. Uh, my doctors were there. The surgeons were there. Checkups were there. So we ended up moving out there. My training block was out there. Um, had a good enough base to kind of understand the what I needed. Um, found a trainer out there, which was awesome. Worked out really well. Um, so I'd be back and forth. So I don't. I didn't spend the summers in Boston. I would leave, um, and because for me it was just kind of like a mental break. And um, 
get out of that and come to a new spot and, and kind of, um, I don't know, work in silence, if you will, you know, and, and then I love that. get back. So how'd you guys make it to Utah then? How'd you kind of get planted there? Um, my, so my, my sister, my bro, my older brother used to live out here and he was a bit of a snowboard bum. And, um, I visited and I just loved it. Um, circled it on the map as a place, maybe one day, uh, we were living in Colorado as, Hey, maybe this might work. And, uh, that turned into California. We certainly weren't going back there. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, Colorado for us was just not, not what we were looking for. So I, I sent my wife out here to start looking at places and, um, she loved it. And, you know, selfishly for me, it's really good hunting. And, uh, yes, sir. And I wanted to be as, as, as up in the mountains as she would let me. Um, so we found a really nice, happy medium. Um, I, for me, you know, and this is a you know deeper question, but or deeper answer, but like, hunting is such a spiritual thing. Um, and that was something that I, uh, loved about it. Uh, you know, outside of, you got a little bit of it in Boston, you know, as the cars you can still hear by, but like the white tails over there. Uh, but I just like the peace and quiet. And, and so we found a nice little spot here and, and got lucky to be honest with it. We bought our place. Um, we bought a piece of land here on February of 2020 a month before COVID. So we got super Thank lucky. God. Okay, so now that your career's done, family man, planted in Utah, did you decide to go right into business? Um, did you decide to take a break? I think I know the answer because you're just not going to sit still. What are you doing now, man? Yeah, so I, I got out of hockey. Uh, we had bought our place in 2020 uh, with the potential or, or thought of building our home on this piece of property. Um, my dad's a general contractor. I kind of worked with him and growing up. Uh, and he's like, Hey man, you can do this. You just build it yourself. Just sub it out and build it yourself. And I'm like, all right, well, we'll figure it out. He's like, I'll help you. You'll be good. So I retire in May of 2021. Um, and I took about three to four weeks off and then we start building our home and, uh, I'm GC in that. And, um, I've been more busy than I've ever been in my life. <laughs> that was a full, full undertaking. Um, not really what I was expecting, but, I'm glad we did it. We're in now. We moved in uh, November 10th of 2022. So only in like five months now, less than four, yeah, four and a half. Um, so we moved in in November and uh, that was, you know, my, it's funny because my wife was like, okay, you're retired. You're going to take some time off. I'm like, yeah, I'm just, we'll just build this house. It'd be fine. I'll be good. And, and I, you know, that was not time off. Um, and then, uh, you know, we finished the house and she's like, well, you're going to, you're going to take some time off. I was like, yeah take some time off. And I got like four days under my belt. I'm like, I, okay, we got to do something. I got to do something. So, um, I ended up, I'm, I'm a project manager now. So I ended up doing, I, I do pro project management in the Valley, uh, for commercial and residential respect homes and whatnot for a guy that, uh, really helped me out on my product, like on my house and my process. So I do that. Uh, one of the big things for me was I, I just didn't want to travel. Um, I wanted to be home as much as I could. Um, so for my kids, I got a five-year-old daughter and a three-year-old son. And, and um, my goal is to raise them here on this, this piece of land and, and spend as much time with them as I can. So I can come home for lunch. I'm home every night. I'm up every morning. They're here. And we get to, um, you know, I only really drive five to 10 miles to work every day max. And, and I'm home every night. So that was a big priority for me. Mm, that's great. Are you guys done making babies or... Yeah, we're done. We're done making babies. I think, uh, you know, I always wanted more, uh, but I think, um, 
it's crazy because we had our daughter um, and things was really, you know, she was born in 2017. Everything was great at that point. Like life was awesome. We had this little cool little condo in Boston and no problems, no nothing. And then the injuries started happening. And then we had our second son or our second, which was my son. And then he was born January 8, 2020. And then we had COVID March. And then I refractured my knee and it like life came at you fast. Um, and consequently, I think it would just put us, it just was like, all right, that's, we're done. This is too much. Um, and I think it just was, uh, you know, it's, you know, for me, God kind of saying, Hey, all right, you've got enough on your plate. We're just gonna, this is enough. So we're happy with the two we have. They're great kids. And, and uh, I think we're, we're pretty content there. You know, Kevin, like a lot of guys, um, myself included, we've, We've all been banged up and had injuries, but resiliency is the word that always comes to mind every time anyone suffers from uh, an injury. And someone like you in a unique position that has had to really prove resiliency. This is a little deeper, but I, I this is something you're just going to have to tell us, man. Like, how do you dig deep when you get injured, when life throws you curveballs and you have that period of time where you do, do you feel sorry for yourself and you do not feel like picking yourself up? Like, where do you draw your strength? Uh, and also from a mindset, not only spiritually, but physically and mentally, how do you like, how do you get yourself wrapped up and like, all right, man, like I got to do this for myself and get back to where I was or even better. Yeah, this is, I mean, um, and, and a lot of the conversations I've had with people about this, I think it's evolved a little bit over the years, but this, the central theme kind of always comes back for me that, um, you know, you, you learn a lot. I've had, a, I've failed a lot in my life. A lot of times I've been cut from multiple teams growing up. Like, and this is, you know, a deeper thing, but like, um, you, you learn so much more from failure than you do success. And so for me, growing up as a kid, I had so many times where, um, it just didn't go my way. Failure after failure, after failure, after failure, uh, and, and always came out on like on better because of it. So, so I had this kind of, I had this kind of foundation, um, through trials where I built up this resilience, uh, that it really didn't bother me. Like, honestly, I'd be totally honest with you. Like I had my injury and it wasn't ever like, woe was me. It's just like, oh, okay, this means I just got to rehab more and we'll just, we'll be fine. We'll just turn the page and I'll get back on the other side. And, and yeah, there were definitely times where it was like super hard and mentally challenging. And I was uh, like really hard to be around for my wife and kids and people around me. And it definitely like it because, but it, there was never really a point where I was um, feeling sorry for myself it was just part of the process. Like there was no other, there was nothing else. Like it wasn't just like, I was going to be like, all right, well, I'm done. Like, this is stupid. Like I'm out. Uh, it was just kind of more like, um, that resiliency is, it doesn't happen overnight, uh, for anybody. I think it comes with, um, with, with different, diff different trials and, and, and failures throughout your life. And, and that was certainly the product of that, man, that is rough. Your attitude's awesome, man, because uh, I think the natural instinct is to feel sorry for yourself, pity party, a little. I mean, honestly, uh, and being injured does suck. Um, it just sucks. That's It is what it is. But the human body is incredible and responds if you treat it proper and, and get the help that you need. Um, that's cool. Let's. I want to finish with a little bit of elk hunting crystal ball for 2023. This is going to be like your first kind of real like okay we got the house built 
I don't have to fulfill an NHL contract. I got a bow. I can see your bow in the background. Like, what are you scheming for 23, brother? So I had uh, I had the best best year I think I'll ever have ever last fall. Okay. Like I I don't think I'll ever top that. So I drew. I'll just give you the rundown. Like, and so yeah. I, my teammate and I we own an outfit in Newfoundland. I couldn't get there. We do moose, caribou, and black bear. I couldn't get there because of COVID. And finally last year I was able to do that. But before that I drew an oryx tag in New Mexico out of nowhere. Drew an oryx tag. So I went down there in May and I, I got an oryx uh, with my rifle. Um, I had the back two guys took me on, they had an extra white, uh, extra, um, extra tag at RNK Wyoming. Oh, you went on that hunt. I went on that hunt. They invited me on that day. They filmed it. I shot an unreal, awesome, probably 150, 160 velvet muley, like sage muley, really hard spot and stock. Like the, the coolest experience ever. Like that's that, that, that it's like one, a one B like, like sage country mule deer. And then like elk in the rut are like 1A, 1B. It was gotcha. the coolest thing ever. So I had an awesome hunt there. Picked up, left up to my buddy's place at uh, uh, West Canyon Ranch. He's got some private spots in the back. They're all wild elk. And and had like literally their day and a half. Spotted this thing from like a thousand yards off. We, we crept up to him just at the end, like last light. He's at the very top of a ridge. Silhouette looking at me broadside at like 55 yards and like drilled him. And it was the coolest thing ever. Um, and then from there, I went and I left to Newfoundland. Uh, to, I had a moose and a caribou tag in my pocket. I shot my moose 45 minutes after getting to the lodge with my bow. The caribou the next day, I was tagged out in 22 hours. And like, I just had the, the best season I'll ever have. It was nuts. You did. I, like literally, like the, it'll never happen like that ever again, like ever again. Um, and so I'm like almost nervous about this fall. This is be a, this huge letdown, but like, uh, no, but I'm, I'm actually, uh, I'm going up to the Yukon to mountain, uh, mountain caribou hunt in uh, uh, Norm Wells, Norman Wells up in Yukon, um, August 5th through the 13th or so. Um, and then I have a, I'm going back up to Cache Valley to elk hunt again. And then I'm going to hunt my property here for mule deer. Um, and then I'm, I'm guiding four veterans on uh, an elk hunt um, up in, in Cache Valley again. And then I head back to Newfoundland. Uh, I'm going to do uh, two caribou. I'm guiding uh, my buddy and, and another friend of mine. I'm going to guide for that. And that's it. So busy, awesome. busy fall. Yeah, busy fall. Dude, every year I get that feeling of like, okay, last year was good. I don't know if I can top that. Um, what if I blow it? What if I miss? What if I just can't? F like there's some self-doubt. And the only way to heal that doubt for me is just to keep working harder. Right. And to keep pushing boundaries and keep and just push, push it and um, work. And then that way, when September arrives or whatever, you can look back and you can be like, I'm not going to define success by the outcome. I'm just, you know, the chips should be where they're going to fall. Like, I'm just going to make sure that my effort and my attitude is there and everything else take care of itself. For better or worse. And I think that's cool. If you short it and you, you cut corners and this and that, you kind of reap what you sow. Um, and that's, mm. I mean, that's, there's, that's about as, and I've found this in, in hunting with bow hunting, especially that that's like, there's no true statement. Could it be ever said in that case? Like, yeah, you have your time where you get lucky, but like you reap what you sow. If you're going to put the time in, usually you're going to, you're going to be successful. Yeah. What's the name of your um, operation there over there in Newfoundland? It's uh, it's called uh, Martian Milko Outfitters. 
Okay. That's crazy. A little venture you got going on. Yeah. It's a little, it's, it's, uh, and this is another kind of story. My teammate, Brad, who got me into hunting, whatever, like he's, you know, he's from Halifax up there and his family's done that his whole life. And, you know, and, and our little business that we started was like a fun thing. We ended up kind of buying an outfit up there as, as a, as a, honestly, as a tool to get up there and hunt whenever we want. But then we take, take some friends like Marcin came up with me last year. I don't know if he told you, but Brian came up with me last year, was a part of both of those hunts and we weren't able to get him a moose, but uh, he'll be back up there again. And, and so, yeah, it's, it's more of like a, an opportunity to bring people to go on up there and enjoy. So. I love that guy. He's a solid dude. Man. He is. He's awesome. He's-, He's as good as they come. Yeah, that's awesome. So I guess the uh, last take would be like, you've kind of stepped into the hunting industry space a little bit, but because you, you own an outfit, I saw you at the expo. What's the NHL's perspective? What's your hockey player coming into the hunting industry? Kind of what's your vibes there? Like it's a different thing and you kind of dabbled into it. What do you think of it so far? Yeah, no, it is. And like, uh, so th- this year was the second time I've been to the hunt expo. I came last year. I was there for two hours and I was so overwhelmed that I, I got out of there. I'm like, this is crazy. This is nuts. You know? So I, I blocked myself off two two days this year and I've been really fortunate to meet like the Baku crew. You guys like just met a really a, a ton of really good people in the industry. Um, and, and, and six hours, a really good friend of ours, all the people over there, like we've just been, we've been very fortunate to connect with some really good people. It's, it's been nothing but awesome. Um, I, I love it. It's really cool to be around other people who are so passionate about it. Like I am, I feel like I'm like, obviously late to the party. I'm 35. I've been hunting for five years, but, um, I, I, in, in, a, in, a, in a lot of ways, I feel blessed in that way because I feel like I'm like a 16 year old who just got the keys to his first car. Like I, I, I said, man, I, I'm, I'm so, I, I love it so much that like, I don't chase antlers. I do not care if a 200 inch elk comes into my call. I'm shooting it every day for the rest of my life. I don't care at all. It, it is like my, I just love it. And, and so I, I'm thankful for that. Um, it, it's, it's just a, it's, it's a really cool thing to have. And I'm grateful for to have after I retired that it was just such an easy transition to find something that I'm so passionate about that is, is similar in the sense that for hockey, your, your training camp starts in September. Right. But like you obviously start training for hockey in May, like you're training for that season. Well, like, you know, for me, like I put that bow in my right there. I put it in my office because I shoot across the hall every day. And like, I just started, I'm like, I'm so excited for fall already. And it's just, it's like March 1st. So it's like a crescendo, right? It's like, a, like, I'm already starting to like, like get, get things dialed in, get my or, uh, arrows like ordered and like chrono my bow and like get everything set. So because it's it just like a, it's a thing that I look forward to so much. Um, it's kind of like a season. So I, it's just, it's just easy for me to transition into that. Mm, I love it. Um, so last question, man, like this is the Elk Shape podcast. You're not training, you're not training for hockey anymore. You've had all these injuries. You want to be the best version of yourself the best husband, best dad and a killer. What are your workouts look like now? that you're in the off season and you're kind of got new goals. What, what does that look like for you? Um, it's, it's right now it's very similar because I can't get outside as much because of snow. Um, I do a lot of the same, a lot of the things that I've, I've trained. It's, it's crazy. I mean, a lot of the, the same workouts I did before transition to what I do now. I, I, I definitely, definitely run more. 
Um, and I definitely, I have to ruck more. Right. So like when it comes time, like it, it, before there's nothing, there's, it, it's like hockey. You can't really train for hockey. Um, there's only a few things that you can for when you get on the ice. And I think the same thing when it comes to elk hunting, like there's no substitute like for putting weight on your back and just, just going, there's yeah. no, there's just no substitute for it. So I, as, as, as like July and August come around, it starts to start to load the pack up a little bit and, and go for some from longer hikes and, and start to get the body with that. But I, I really like to get the heart rate up as high as I freaking can for 45 to 50 minutes and, and, and then check the box. Yeah. I I'm the same boat as far as I, I love that anaerobic bursty interval. Look at that heart rate monitor and Oh man, getting it up there. is actually kind of hard. So uh, the older you, the older you get, um, I'm in my 40s now, and I'm like, I remember I could see 190-something, no problem. And I think the other day I was pretty proud of 170. And uh, But I do like the long, slow distance stuff, too. I, I definitely don't ruck nearly as much as I think people expect. Steve. Yeah, or they would expect or assume. I do a lot of spring bear hunting. There's rucking involved there. And, and then in the summertime, man, I really don't put much of a pack on, but maybe once a week for real. And that's, I consider it an active rest day and I look forward to it. I'm the exact same. My Wednesday is my active rest day, man. And that's a walk. That's a hike. Like that's my, I do the same thing. It's not much 35, 40 pounds on and like go, but if that's active rest, it's a recovery day because you've been beating it up Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, like hard. And your Wednesday day is just a day to kind of the exact same. It's not a lot. You don't need much because I think you can get, as you know, like you can get so much done in the gym um, and with those short intervals or whatever you're doing that, that like it, it, it doesn't need to be an everyday 50 mile killing hike to, to, to be successful. No doubt. Uh, so what's worse, uh, a rogue echo bike, a Schwinn Airdyne, or an assault bike. Have you been on all three? Yes, I have. Which one's the worst? The assault bike is the worst for me. Game on. Yep. Same here. I don't know what it is. I think I got like a bad taste in my mouth. Cause like one of our tests, uh, in college, um, there's a few of them, but they were always on that, that aerodyne. And, uh, and, and it was, we did a five mile test on that for time. And we did a one mile test on that for time. And honestly, there was one time it was middle of the season. Um, we were playing, we were playing crappy. We just lost two in a row and we're in the gym and our coach was like getting all over us. Our strength coach was getting all over us and uh, guys left weights out and like they, things were getting sloppy. And he's like, all right, everybody on the aerodyne, we're going to hit this one mile test. If, if you don't, if everybody's not under 215, we're do it again. Oh my God. So I, I, you know, I just buried my head. And it's like two minutes, like seven seconds. I finish, I get off and like, I didn't take a breath. I don't think. And I get off and like, I walk 10 steps and I just pass right out. And so like, I had such a bad taste on my mouth. I can't even look at those things anymore. Just like I avoid it at all costs. From a physiological standpoint, there's this thing where you, when you're using that many muscles to the party, you've invited all these muscles to the, the bike party. And your cardiac output, your oxygen requirement, all these things are going on. 
And the dumb it down, the acidity is not a great thing for the things that go inside muscle cells. Enzymes start to break down. Things just aren't working because the acid is up, lactic acid. And obviously, a guy like you, you know, you're in great shape. You're trained for the 48 to 52 second bursts, which is super awesome, by the way. I do think that carry over into longer time domains. And your body becomes pretty good at not only like dealing with the acid, but actually utilizing the acid as an energy substrate. And they call that lactate threshold training. So for those listening, get on one of the formerly mentioned bikes, doesn't matter, set yourself up for five miles and go and see like, like, like literally you'll have to pace it at, at, you can't sprint five miles on a bike. You just can't, you're not Lance Armstrong, but you can go up against the threshold to where your body is like not breaking down and you're actually using lactic acid. And I think a lot of people call that zone two or zone three training. And I would argue it's kind of a hybrid, but, um, that is like the ultimate test. I generally do that test, Kevin, like about this time of year. It's the five-mile test. And it's the one thing, like you talked about earlier, circling the calendar. Like I circle the calendar. That's the dude I'm fighting, and I, there's going to be a fight. And that is the lactate threshold day of 20 it's minutes. so true, man. <laughs> When's the last time you did that? I haven't done it since, um, gosh, it's been, I did it once in Providence, so over 10 years. I haven't done it in 10 years. I haven't done it in 10 years. We did. So before I left, we did, uh, I used the rogue. I bought the, um, or not even the rogue, the concept. I used the concept too. Uh, okay. so I used that one a lot. And then the Schwinn one, which is, is just as miserable. Um, I did those a lot. Um, uh, I think because I don't know, maybe because I'm just too scared of the other one. Honestly, it just, it just rocked me. And, and, uh, I just, I don't use the aerodyne as much anymore. I just don't even, it's like a, I, I love the, I do the rower. I do the skier. I like the, uh, the concept two bike. I'll do the legs one, but your, your conjunction of those two, like you said, it's a full body shock, just shocks your system. Do you have your own gym at your house or where are you going to train? Yep. I have a, I have a gym in my house and then um, I kind of mix it up. Things that I can't do at the gym, I go to the, the local gym. And so I usually spend two days there. And three days here, and that's that's my spot. That's cool. All right, where where uh, where can people learn more about your either your what you're up to, or are you posting any platforms? Where do people follow you? Yeah, just our probably just our Instagram. We don't really do a whole lot with that. Um, it's 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 uh, Marsh Marsh underscore Milko. That's where we have a little bit like like Colleen Brand where we do some hats and shirts where it kind of promotes the hunting and outdoor lifestyle. You can kind of see what we're doing on there. Uh, we do a lot of stuff with veterans. That's something we're pretty passionate about. Um, and just you know what, we're 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 thankful for the relationships that we've met with with guys like yourself or Baku or Sig and all those people that have been part of it. And that's our kind of way of um, showing that thank you and gratitude and, and promoting them and, and uses as, as we can to grow the, grow the audience, uh, of the hunting industry in a healthy and respectful way. Um, cause I just think that there's such a, there's a need for that and it's going, I think it's trending in the right way. Um, uh, but there's a lot of people that just need to maybe see it and, and, and for what it actually is. And we try, we try to portray that. I think we all do. That's awesome. Well, Honor to talk to you today. Appreciate your time. 
So much respect for what you've done um, on the ice and off, man. Um, wishing you nothing but continued success. Thanks for your time. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Guys, separation is in the preparation. We'll catch you on the next one.